welcome. We're grateful that you're here this morning. We hope that you might find a church home here uh, today. All right, so this is the closing uh, of our, our, our series on the Holy Spirit. Um, we, we, we've talked uh, just about a lot of different things, about the ministry of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, and uh, today we're going to just look at uh, walking in the Spirit. What does it look like to walk in the Spirit? Well, first off, where we have to start, we always would have to start with salvation, that, that walking in the Spirit, the only way that it's really possible is, is to have the Spirit of God indwelling you. And the only way to have the Spirit of God indwelling you is, is through the cross. It's the recognition that, that we aren't enough, that, that in and of ourselves, that the reality of our lives is that we've, we've got sin in our lives, that each one of us here has done things that, that we wish we could take back, that we wish we could undo. We have skeletons and things in our closet. We, 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 have, we have just... Things that have been in contradiction to the things of God and what God has called us to. And the Bible lays that out as being sin. And sin simply is an ar- a Greek archery term, and it means to miss the mark. It means anything that misses the bullseye is basically labeled as sin. The bullseye is the righteousness of God and who He is. The standard isn't one another so that we're kind of think that we're living in some kind of a uh, where we're living on a scale of some sort where, where you know, we're, we're, uh, you know, am I pretty good or am I bad? And, and, and maybe my good things are starting to outweigh my bad things. That really isn't the economy that the Bible lays out. The Bible just says, look, if we've sinned, if you've broken one of God's laws, you've broken them all, that we're guilty of all of those things. And we stand condemned before a holy and righteous God. But the good news, the gospel is this, is that God loved you and has pursued you jealously, and, and, and he has pursued you and a relationship with you, and he has fought for you, and he went to the cross to pave a way, to make a way so that we could be in right standing. See, so that the righteous requirement of God, which is justice, could be met out on his son, and so that the penalty for sin that I owe and that you owe would be taken on by him. And when we believe in that and we trust that, we believe that Jesus died on the sin for our, died on the cross, I'm sorry, for our sins, then the Bible says that, that there's a transaction that happens, it, that basically that, that our sin debt is paid for, the righteousness that belongs to Jesus is credited into our account, we're given his righteousness, we're made righteous, and the Bible says that at that point you're holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. It says that God has remembered them no more, that he has buried them at the bottom of the ocean, that the account and the, and the, the, the thing that was in uh, the, the obstacle, the chasm, if you will, that was there in our relationship to God has been bridged, and it's bridged by the cross, and we walk across that, and we walk into new life, and we walk into freedom. We walk into forgiveness of our sins. And the Bible says that, that, that when we do that, that the very... Spirit of God comes and lives inside of us. And we become awakened to what we were always intended to be, which is body, soul, and spirit. See, the problem with us in our sin was that our spirit was cut off from God. It was dead, if you will. Many times in the Bible, God talks about people being dead. When the, when the lost son was gone uh, the, and he returned, the father said he was dead but now he is alive. Well, physically, he was alive because that's one aspect of who we are is our physical reality. We, you and I, we live in this fleshly bodies. 
And, and, and this is how you were intended. This is how you were created to be. We weren't created to be spirits that were just flitting out and, and you know, just kind of doing our thing. We were always created to be in both flesh and spirit. And our soul is this. Our soul is your mind, your will, your emotions, those kinds of things. It's your personality. It's the thing that makes you uniquely you. It's that thing that you know exists that, has, that, that, that makes you you and alive. And so we all have those things. The problem with the unbeliever is that the spirit is dead. It's separate from God. And so the thing that God does in this transaction is that the Spirit of God comes in and it quickens or it awakens our spirit. And now we begin to operate in the way that we were always intended to operate, with, which is in relationship to our Creator. See, the problem with you and I is that we've went off, we went our own way, and we've tried to produce our own answers and our own things. And this brings us back. And it's God's word that does that. It's God's, God's work on the cross. Uh, the Bible says that his word is that it penetrates, that it, it slices between bone and marrow and soul and spirit. It draws us into relationship with the living God, and then it quickens and it awakens our spirit. So that's the first thing that really has to happen. You see, and, and, and the spirit is the place where we really commune with God. We don't do it on a fleshly level. We don't do it physically, and we also don't do it with our soul because our soul has to do with our emotions, and our emotions are just something that we can't really, we can't depend on our emotions. Our emotions are up, and they're down, and they're all over the place, and certainly emotion and emotional experiences at times like that where we feel close to God or really drawn in or maybe a great worship time or something like that, those are great things, but those aren't really what we're talking about. We're talking about something that is deeper and more reliable, actually than that emotional side of who we tend to be, and it's the spirit. And this is the place where the communication with God happens. You see, God will never communicate to the flesh because he's told the flesh that the flesh must die. It's the spirit that God is bringing into life, and the Bible says that in it, when we walk in the spirit, there is life and there is peace in that place. So let's look at some of the work of the spirit and, and what the Spirit does, for one thing, is that, again, the Spirit draws the unsaved to Jesus. It's His Spirit. It's, it's, the, it's the Trinity. It is the, the community of God working together in salvation. We've got the Father who has sent the Son. The Son has accomplished for us the, the, the forgiveness of sin, the payment for sin, and then it's the Spirit that draws us back to the Son is when we're not saved, when we don't have a relationship with God. It's the Spirit of God that is witnessing with us, that is telling us that this is true and this is a need that we have. So the Spirit of God, it witnesses and it brings the unsaved to Jesus. John 6, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. John 14, 26 talks about this. Um, it says, it says uh, John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is going to testify of Jesus. They, again, as we draw and we start thinking about walking in the Spirit, where is the Spirit going to lead us? The Spirit is going to always lead us back to Jesus. He testifies of the things of Jesus. 
1 Corinthians, back to the idea that he draws the unsaved to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. For through him, we both have access by one Father, by one Spirit to the Father, Ephesians 2, 18. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given to us, 1 John 3, 24. And that Spirit continues to make witness and testimony to Jesus. John 15, 26, but whenever the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So the Holy Spirit is always going to be directing us to Jesus. When we seek the Spirit, he's going to say, I'm pointing you to Jesus. I'm sending you to Jesus. I'm connecting you to Jesus and to the things that Jesus does and says, to the ministry of Jesus and what he is doing in our lives. The Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus. The Spirit is always going to move us closer to Jesus. The Spirit also convicts the world and the believer of sin. It's the Holy Spirit that, that at some point, if you're a believer, just took and brought conviction to you about your life and how you were living. I remember it very well for myself. It was a really dark time on the inside. It wasn't as dark a time on the outside. My life actually was going pretty well according to some things about the world or how that would be judged. But on the inside, it was so dark and it was just getting darker. And that was the Holy Spirit making real to me the reality of the sin that was in my heart and in my life. And he began to reveal that to me. He began to show me how over the years my heart had just gotten harder and harder and harder. And then, and then, and I remember very well that night. That night I said something that I'd never really said before. See, before I had kind of approached my spirituality or, or whatever, I, I, it was kind of like I was, I was going through a, a buffet line. And I was like, okay, you know, yeah, I'd have a little bit of this, and I'd have a little bit of that, and that looks good, and no thank you to that, and I'll have none of that, but I'd like some dessert over here too. And I created my own belief system. I created my own spirituality, if you will, this, this system of belief, but I came to understand that I was the authority in that. In that system of belief, I was God, and I determined what was right and wrong, and the Spirit began to show me and I didn't really know much about what was right and wrong. And that maybe I was somebody who needed to begin to sit under authority instead of be the authority. And I cried out that night and I said, God, I don't know who you are. But if you'll show me who you are, I'll quit trying to create you into who I think you ought to be. And I truly believe that at that point in time, God had me because I was then a seeker. For the first time in my life, although I had been spiritual for about 10 years, I was truly a seeker because I got open to what God would tell me. Instead of trying to determine what I think God ought to do or how God ought to operate, I began to repent, which is to agree with God and say, God, maybe you know better than I do. So the Holy Spirit does this. He, he brings us, he convicts the world and the believers of, of sin. John 16 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He's the one who, who, who takes the veil away, who actually clears our vision so that we can see the reality of where we sit with God. 
The Holy Spirit begins a process in us of sanctification, right? Which is, which is this process of being conformed to the image of Christ. That the goal uh, is that the believer would begin to live their life in a way that they reflect and they show who Jesus is what his personality is, how he would act and how he would react. And this is a process that God is at work in our lives. And this is not always an easy process or a painless process. Sometimes this is kind of wrenching because there's some stuff that's inside of me that doesn't just need sweet talked out. It needs wrenched out. And, 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 but God is faithful to be at work in us and sanctifying us. 1 Corinthians 6.11, And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So God's Spirit is at work inside of the believer, changing our hearts and bringing us to a place of agreement with God and changing some of those old habits, some of the things that are in our lives that just need to go. He's helping us and He's convicting us and He's equipping us that we might live a life of holiness and righteousness. Because really, that's what the world needs. What the world needs to see is Christians who are living out the reality of what our faith is, who are living and pursuing the good things of God, understanding that God has our good in mind. I think I've told, I've told you a lot, but, but whenever I used to first was, before I was a believer, I would, I would try to read the Bible, and I would be like, oh my gosh, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. I, what shall thou do? I don't know. Thou shalt not do nothing, it looks like, nothing fun anyway, and, and it looks like God's killing everybody, and I don't get it, right? I just don't understand this. But now, because I have the Spirit of God in me, He began to reveal to me and show me different things about His Word, and He began to show me, try, I'm, I'm not trying to keep you from things. What I'm trying to do is help you to walk in what's good. I'm trying to help you to walk in what's free. I'm trying to show you what freedom really is, see, because I always thought that freedom was doing what I wanted to do. The problem with that was that everything that I wanted to do led me to bondage and not really to freedom. It had me captive. It held me. But when I started to understand that when God is telling me not to do something, God is telling me, don't hurt yourself, try. Stay free. Don't lose yourself. Don't put yourself in bondage to something. See, God says things like don't lie, right? And if we don't lie, we stay free. But if we choose to lie, and we've all done this, I mean, at least I have. I don't know. Maybe you guys haven't. But, but when we lie, we, we, we give up our freedom at that point. We, we now are in bondage to the lie. We're owned by the lie. We've got to remember what we told, who we told it to. We've got to tell more to cover it up. And we live in the fear of being exposed for our lie. You just lost your freedom. You see, so God is intimately interested in our freedom, and the Spirit of God is moving us into what's good and what is right, and He's helping us, and He's walking with us in this. He teaches us all things. John 16, 13, however, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. It's part of the job. He's, he's the paraclete. He's the teacher. He, he's come to teach and to witness to us and to teach us in a deep place in our spirit the truth of the Word of God. 
It's the Spirit that, that begins to reveal to us and, and take. We were talking this morning before worship about how it's the Word of God that, that, that has all of these treasures for us. And, and when we learn to dig and we, we pursue God and we start to realize how profound this book is, this book just went to me from being this confusing book that's like, I don't really get it, to the most profound book I've ever read in my life. I, I can't believe how over thousands of years and all of these different authors, it's a collection of books, it's a library of books, but that God has this consistency that goes through it and over thousands of years he's spoken to human beings and told us the way to salvation and to goodness. And it's the Spirit's job to, to teach us and to lead us into all truth. John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. He tells us also our true identity. Romans 8, 16, and 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. See, the Spirit is bearing witness with our spirit. It's telling us who we really are. It tells us what our real identity is. It tells us you're a child of God. Versus the world, which would tell you, you only have value and worth if you, if you accomplish these certain things, if you perform in certain ways, if you have certain attributes, if you're beautiful or amazing or have great talents or, or all kinds of followers and influence and all kinds of things like this is how you have worth. But God says, no, and his spirit bears witness within us and it says, this is who you really are. You're really a child of God and you're an heir. And then he gets real with us too, and he talks about the reality of suffering in this world and in this life, but he promises always to walk through this with us. The Holy Spirit, it keeps going. There's, there's so much to his ministry. He prays. He's our helper. He's our comforter in this life. He gives gifts, and he gives the fruit of the Spirit as we walk in the Spirit, the things of the fruit of the Spirit, which we went through, the you know love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Of these things, there is no law. Why? Because there is no need of law in those manner. It is the Spirit of God, and it's the law of God that we get to walk in versus an external law. God is teaching us and moving us into a place where He wants to show us how to move and live and operate within this life from an internal law, not an external law. Not something that's inhibiting us, not something that is from here that's being foisted upon us and, and, and forces us into something, but a place where we begin to desire the deep and the good things of God. This is part of the, the ministry of the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, when it comes to how do we do this and, and what does this look like, it says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit. The, the idea in the Greek there is to be being filled, be continually filled with the Spirit, be continually going to Him and allowing Him to fill us up. It means to yield your control, the control of you to the Spirit, to give control over to. It's just the same way as when we give ourselves over to 
to wine or too much drink or whatever that looks like. It, it takes control of us. Something else begins to operate within us and kind of run our book. The, the Bible is telling us, look, uh, do, don't do that because you probably won't get great results with that. Um, and many of us can testify to the reality of, of the kind of results that we get when we live our lives maybe that way. But, but let the Spirit have control. Have that same kind of a thing where the Spirit of God is just controlling us in everything that we do. That it takes over and we just completely give ourselves over to that. <clears throat> Galatians 5.16 tells us that if we walk by the Spirit, that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You're under a different law, an internal law. And what is it saying? It's telling us here that if you follow the Spirit, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the, the desires of the flesh. Why? Because they're on the same spectrum. There's a, there's a decision that the believer makes to, to pursue the things of the Spirit or to pursue the things of the flesh. And if you're pursuing the things of the Spirit, it will not lead you to the flesh. It will lead you away from the flesh and into the, into the Spirit and into the deep things of God. And, and if you're over there, you can't get over here because you can only be one place on a plane at a time. But if you're over here, if you're over in the flesh, it's going to inhibit it's going, to be, it's going to be inhibiting what the Spirit of God wants to do in us. It doesn't mean that now He's gone. It doesn't mean now that now He doesn't exist. You see, when you became a believer, you got all the Holy Spirit. You didn't need a partial filling. You didn't get something that you need to get filled up. You got all of it. But see, the problem is, is that we can grieve the Spirit. There's a reality that we can be doing and living in a way that, that, that doesn't bring the things of the Spirit uh, into a good place. You see, there's a battle that's going on in our lives. That's what this is saying, is that there's the flesh and there's the spirit and there's a war that's going on in there. There, there's, 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 there, there, there are desires that we have. There are things that we have that push us towards things that wouldn't necessarily bless us, but yet we're drawn and we're pulled into those things anyway. And there's a real literal spiritual battle that's going on inside of you and I. And and, and at the end of the day, it's, it's this idea of, of, of what, are we, what are we feeding into? Are, 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 we, are, we, are we feeding our spirit or are we feeding the flesh? Because just like the parable, there's a Native American parable about a, a white wolf and a black wolf that live inside of somebody. And a, a, grand, a grandfather is telling his grandson this thing. And he's saying, look, inside everybody, there's a, there's a white wolf and there's a black wolf that live inside of you. And the white wolf is goodness and peace and patience and all of this kind of stuff, like the fruit of the spirit kind of stuff. But, but then there's the black wolf and it represents just all the evil and the bad and all of the things. And inside of you every day, there's a battle that goes on with these wolves. And, and, but you, and he tells his grandson, you can know which one will win. And he says, how can I know which one will win? He says, whichever one you feed. That's actually really true. I mean, that really fits into what we're talking. There's a reality that there's a battle that's going on within us. And the, and the question is, is what are we feeding? Because whatever you're feeding into is going to rise up and, and it's going to take you captive. It's going it's to own you. It's going to take control over you. That's why the Bible in Romans 8 says that, that those who set their minds on the things of the flesh or set their minds on the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who set their mind on the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. You see, it's kind of like we, we set our feet on a path and we're always going somewhere. 
And we're always going, the direction that we're going is, is dictated really by, by are we walking in the spirit or are we walking in our flesh? And the flesh is always going to come back down to, to me selfishly pursuing my own things and my own desires and, and my own outcomes. How are we going to do this? Well, again, we're going to feed the Spirit. We're going to recognize the reality of the spiritual battle that's going on within us. And we're going to recognize, too, that sometimes that the Spirit of God is going to lead us in a way that is away from some of the things that we want to do. And I think we just have to get real with that there are things that sometimes I think I might want to do, but at the end of the day, they won't really bless me, and they won't really bless others around me either, because they have their origins or their roots in the flesh. We've got to crush the idols. We've got to crush the idols in our life if we want to walk in the Spirit. We've, we've got to recognize that we have things many times that we're putting before God. If you want to know if you have an idol in your life, just think about what you spend most of your time thinking about. What do you spend your time thinking about? What do you spend your money on? Where, where do you put your time and your, your, your focus and your energy? And honestly, if it's, if it's not God, if it's something else, then there's, that's likely an idol in our lives. And, and it can be a good thing. It can be something that's perfectly fine in your life. It just means that sometimes these things get out of their perspective. They get out of place. This is why Jesus tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all things will be added to us from there. When we put him first, then we get a right relationship with these things, these things that tend to be idols in our lives. And, 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 then, and then we can actually truly enjoy those things because they're in their right place in our lives. They aren't in a place where we're expecting them to be fulfilling in our lives like only God can be, and we just get those things put back in the right place. Sometimes there are idols in our lives that we just have to get out. Some, some we have to get in the right place. We have to recognize, look, I'm making an idol out of this thing. It's too much. It's a good thing, but it needs, it needs put behind Jesus. And there are some things that we just got to crush and we've got to get them out of our lives. Some of those things that we want to hang on to in our lives that really inhibit us from experiencing the wholeness of what God wants us to have and what the Spirit would want to do in our lives. Galatians 2.20, it tells us this, and we're told to crucify our flesh, right? The, uh, Galatians 2.20 says, For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so the life that I now lead in the flesh, I lead in faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me because he loved me. See, this is the picture is that, is that we would begin to die to self. The hard part about that is it's a death. And this is a hard thing. But see, Jesus tells us time and again, if you want to find your life, you have to lose it. You, you can't make it about you. You have to actually lose it. You have to actually lose some of these things in order to get them back and to get them back into their right place. See, the whole world is out there chasing all kinds of things that at the end of the day can't be fulfilling because you'll either get too old to do them or you'll you'll die. I mean, at the end of the day, the things of this world can't be the end of it because we're passing away out of this thing. And if we make them the thing, then we'll have lost much of what God wanted to do in our lives and have us to be a part of in this world that we're living in. 
You see, it comes down to this. When we, when we start to really pursue and we walk in the Spirit, we're gonna, we're gonna, it's going to draw us back to the gospel because the gospel is the greatest story of love that has ever been written or given to us. It's the gospel. The gospel, the story of the gospel is written in our souls. It, it is so entwined with who we are that we can't help but tell this story. I'm always amazed at all of the movies that you look at, that you see, and the successful movies that are out there, honestly, they have the gospel at their heart. They really do. They they just, it's the story, it's the love story that God has written in our hearts, and so when we start to see many times the different movies out there, the successful movies, that they, they draw on our heartstrings because we're drawn to the gospel. The idea of a sacrificial love, the idea of one who would give himself on, on behalf of others, um, it, it, the idea of fallenness and brokenness, good and evil, all of the battles that are going on around us, we see these things play out in the movies, and it's because God has written this story in our lives. The gospel is love, is equals to love, and walking in the Spirit starts to look like doing the gospel. Sometimes we get into the idea and churches and, and, and the idea of being spirit-filled and walking in the spirit, and, and, and then it just turns into kind of a selfish endeavor I'm afraid of. It starts to turn into just everybody's just seeking these experiences and amazing worship services and all of this time, and, and, and the focus just becomes, see, if, if this isn't moving you out and into the world through the gospel and the desire to see other people know Jesus, if love isn't enveloping us in this whole thing, see, that's why, remember last week when we talked about 1 Corinthians 13 is sandwiched in this whole idea of the gifts, and it's saying, look, you could be as gifted as, as you want to be, you could have all of these things, but if you don't have love, it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. And so walking in the Spirit means doing the gospel. It means beginning to understand that, that, that people need to hear this message, that people are dying out there, and they're, they're chasing all kinds of things that, that aren't even worth their time or their affection or their energy, but they're lost, and they don't know it. And, and God is calling us, and He's equipping the church to go out. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, right? Go. Go out into all the world and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that the church isn't supposed to be static. It's not supposed to just be here and and seeking all of these things and these experiences. It's supposed to be walking with the Spirit out into the world. And sometimes the Spirit is going to take you into a hard place. It was the Spirit of God. It was the Spirit that led Jesus into a 40-day place of temptation in the desert with Satan. It was the Spirit, it says, that led him there. Why? Because, because we need to have our, ta- our, our faith tested. Faith is always tested. And faith has, our testing of our faith has a good result. James 1, right? Consider it pure joy when facing various trials and temptation, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So let endurance have its complete effect that you might be complete, perfect, lacking in nothing, You see, the testing of our faith and the hard times that sometimes we go through are not meant to crush us, but to grow us, to make us stronger, to have a faith that that goes deeper and and that isn't wiped out by the things of this world. It's about doing the gospel. It's about going through the desert. It's about prayer. It's about time in the Word. It's about spending time with God and in His Word so that you know when the Spirit of God is speaking to you. 
It's, see, it's the thing that, that we have to understand. You have to understand and know God's Word so that you have something to, to test against. Because you and I, we can start to twist some things that, that we're thinking and we can justify it and we can quickly come to the conclusion that, yeah, that's God's will for my life or this is what God is doing in my life when actually many times it could just be my own thing. I have to have something. I have to have something that is a standard to test those things against. And it's God's Word. And, and as we get into God's Word and we begin to dig and we get to understand the promises of God, then we can hold on to those. We can hold fast to these things. We can, we can have God uh, begin to teach us and grow us and sanctify us through His Word. And how else are you going to know? You see, if, if, if we didn't see each other in two years, let's say, in two years, and, and, and I called you on the phone and I said, hey, what's up? And we've all had that, con- that, that, that phone call. You're like, uh, not much. What are you doing? You know, you're try- trying to fish, trying to figure out who this is, right? And then you're like, and if I said, oh, hey, this is Try. You'd be like, oh, hey, Try. How, how you doing? You know, how you been? I haven't seen you for a couple years, right? But see, if we talked every week, as soon as I said, hey, what's up? You'd say, hey, Try, what's going on? You see what I'm saying? It's about familiarity. It's, a, it's about digging. It's about, it's about spending time with God in prayer and in God's Word so that we understand and we know His voice when we can hear it. And this is how we do it. What if we just didn't say no? What if we began to really practice this idea of walking with the Spirit? And I'm pretty sure that if you start to walk with the Spirit or you start to try to do that, you're not going to do everything just right. It's not going to just, you're not going to be just perfect about that. But I think that there's, there are times in our lives, I know there's times in my life where I've felt like God has been like, hey, you should, you should go talk to that person over there. You, you should open up this, or you should, you should help somebody with this, or you should meet that need, or you should serve here, or you should do something. And a lot of times I'm just kind of like, oh, that's nothing, that, that's probably nothing. But what if we started to just be a people who started to say, you know what, I'm just not going to say no often. You know, I mean, unless there's contradictory to this, um, when I hear that, I believe that I'm hearing something from the Lord. What if I just didn't say no? What if I just began to walk in obedience? You see, because the reality of this walk is that it's faithfulness in the little things that lead to bigger things. It's, It's starting small. It's starting with baby steps. It's just like when your kid starts to walk, right? You got a child and they start to walk. You're not like... Oh my gosh, you're not even doing it right. <laughs> Fell over like three times. Golly. No, the parents are filled with joy that their, parent, that their child is starting to take some steps, right? And again, my horse trainer analogy, I got to have a horse that'll move. If they won't move, that's a problem. But if they'll move... My job as the trainer is to shape it up into something useful. It's to begin to take that movement that they give me and to teach and to show and to shape it up into something. I believe that God works in that same way too. So sometimes I think that as we feel led, as we begin to understand that you have the spirit of the living God is alive inside of you. And he wants to speak to us and he wants to guide us. He wants to teach us and he wants to move us. And so sometimes as we just maybe began to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to try to listen to that voice. 
If God tells me to pray on my knees, I'm, I'm going to pray on my knees. If, if he tells me to go and talk to this person, I want to I go talk to that person. Sometimes we're really eager for the gifts and those kinds of things. And, and, and it tells us that we should earnestly desire those things. So, so it's not to minimize it, but, but again, I think that to maximize it becomes a real mistake at times. I think that what we really need to do is pursue walking with the Spirit and allow the Spirit to do as He wills with things like the gifts. But 1 Corinthians 14, so with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, well, here you go. Strive to excel in building up the church. If you're eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, it's a corporate thing. It's not an individual thing. God isn't about equipping and gifting and all of this stuff for individuals so that they have their own thing and they're over here and they're using it. and they're, No, it's always to edify the church. The goals of the gifts, the reason for the gifts are to edify the church. The, the reason for the diversity of, of people that are within here in this church body are to edify the body so that this place moves and it grows in the ways that we're supposed to move and grow. So it's kind of like, hey, if you really want to see the manifestations of the Spirit, you want to see the Spirit become real, build the church up. Start there. It's kind of like when Jesus says, hey, you want to be religious about, you want, to, you want some religion and something to be religious about, take care of widows and orphans in their need. That'd be a great thing to be religious about, right? Do that and keep yourselves unstained from the world, right? Galatians 5, 25 and 26 Oops, too far. Looky there, I'm almost done. <laughs> Galatians 5, 25 and 26. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It says keep in step. It means that he's moving. It means that God is moving into the future. Sometimes we want to move back into the past we want to be like, boy, it was way better back in 2019 or something like that. And, and I, but, but God isn't nostalgic. God is not moving backwards in time, nor is he going to. He's moving forward. The Spirit is moving forward, and the call for the people of God is to walk in the Spirit and to keep in step with what the Spirit is doing. We need to be sensitive to what the Spirit is doing and be keeping in step with what he is doing both inside of this place and outside of this place. And then the warning here is don't, don't get conceited because sometimes when, when people really begin to walk in the Spirit, the next thing that can happen is, is, is because of us and who we are is we get spiritually prideful and we start thinking we're better than everybody else or that we've got more going on or whatever. So, eager for the manifestation of the Spirit. You want to see the Spirit of God move in the rock church I do. Let's build the church. That's where it starts. All right, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are at work, that you are not nostalgic, that you are moving forward, that your spirit is moving us forward, that it's moving forward, and we want to keep step with that, and we want to walk with you, Lord. Help us. Help us individually to crush the idols in our own lives that we need to get out of there, to realign some of the idols in our lives so that they're no longer an idol and they're just a thing. Help us to, uh, to hear your voice. Help us to, 
to register. And Lord, if there's somebody in here who just hasn't ever responded to the gospel, who hasn't trusted and, and come to know in your goodness and your, your pursuit of us, your plan for salvation, I pray that today might be the day of salvation for them, that they would say yes to you and that they would experience the change of a new creation. That that's our greatest hope is that we can be new, that we can be changed, that the past can, can be the past and we can move forward with you in a new way, doing new things, a new creation created in Christ. So we thank you, Lord, for that. And we pray that for those that are walking with you, that know you, that we would go to a deeper place, that we would dive into your word in a whole new and fresh way, that we would uh, open our lives in prayer to a depth and in a place that we just haven't. We would give more attention and more focus to prayer and to what you're doing. And we would hear that as we hear that still small voice in our lives and, 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 we, and we believe it to, to be you, that we, would, that we would respond to that, that we wouldn't be a people who just say no, 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 but we would begin to say yes. And then we would find the fulfillment that you have for us in our lives when we say yes. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.